Welcome to Grad School Life by PhD Balance, where we speak to graduate students about the behind the scenes day-to-day -day life in their programs. I'm your host, Courtney Applewhite. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. I'm a PhD candidate in the Department of Religious Studies at the University of California, Santa Barbara, studying death. Please don't forget to like and subscribe on your chosen platform to get notifications about new episodes. And if you've been enjoying the show, leave us a little review. It helps potential and current graduate students hear about us and learn more about a day in our lives. Today, I'm joined by Aldo Barita. Aldo is a queer Latinx doctoral student in his fourth year at the Psychological and Brain Sciences PhD program at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. He was born in Mexico and immigrated to the US when he was 16. He received a Bachelor of Arts in Psychology from UC Berkeley in 2017 with high honors. His research focus includes how different forms of discrimination, primarily microaggressions, psychologically impact individuals from marginalized communities. Specifically, he has an interest in Latinx and or LGBTQ experiences with microaggressions as well as psychometrics. Aldo currently serves as the student representative for the National Latinx Psychology Association and student chair-elect for the APA Division 52. He has been awarded prestigious honors and recognitions such as the National Latinx Psychology Association's 2020 Presidential Citation, 2021 Distinguished Student Service Award, as well as the 2021 SPSP Janessa Shapiro Student Research Award. In 2022, he became a Mellon Fellow receiving the Crossing Latinidades Mellon Humanities Fellowship and Barrick Graduate Fellowship from the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. Welcome to the show, Aldo. Thank you for having me. It's wonderful that you're here. So I'd like to start out by asking everyone, what is something that you do on a daily basis that gives your PhD life balance? Yeah, that's a great question. I think every day, um... I try to leave some room for me time, whether that is me going to exercise when I find the energy to do so, or just me uh, catching up on some of my favorite TV shows, or just me reading a book that is just more for pleasure than uh, for research. So what are you watching right now? Oh, great questions. <laughs> um, I'm catching up on some shit um, on a TV show on Netflix uh it's a it, it's a it's a soup opera so it's an old show but i have i think i rewatched it when i was like 14 or 16 and the fact that i'm rewatching it i'm reliving some of the memories with my family sitting in the living room you know watching it with my mom so it's been interesting oh i love that it's like nostalgia and it's yes. comfort <laughs> and it's like not a lot of you know you have those shows that it's not a lot of effort to watch them it's just nice yes Absolutely. It's not that emotional because you kind of know the storyline a little bit. Yes. Sometimes I like to get into intense shows, but I prefer most of the time to go into those that do not require a lot of brain power. Just to totally. shut it down. Yeah. Just, just to ease your brain, give it a little break. Yes. Well, that's great. And so if you take that, if you go back to when you decided to apply for grad school, why did you decide to go that route? And what did you think it would be like? Um, well, I decided to apply for a PhD in psychology. Initially, I did a research prior to that as far as like what type of psychology I wanted to study. I think that most people, when they think about psychology, they think about clinical psychology, which is your typical therapist or counselor having a sofa, telling them all their troubles. And I, I part of my research prior to applying to PhD was to really figure out if that's what I wanted to do. And what I ended up doing is that um, I work in a rehabilitation center for substance abuse, where I work with counselors, LMFTs, all kinds of uh, clinical people. 
And I realized that it wasn't for me. Um, I think that what I was going more after was social or social justice factors that um, explain partially why some of these people are, you know, in the circumstances that they are. And that brought me to research and reading a bunch of articles around racial discrimination, LGBTQ discrimination, me being a queer person of color as well, as well I could identify with some of those experiences. Um, so I decided to just kind of like pursue more about that, those readings. And then I discovered that there were like doctoral programs that can just focus on research, uh, social psychology. Um, so that was my initial inclination and why I started pursuing it. Now I'm more inclined about mentoring. So I have been able to mentor a lot of undergrad students from my university and I really enjoy working with the students and just kind of like sparking their ideas, brainstorming, even like helping them believe that they can actually pursue a higher education outside of a bachelor's degree um, or even just pursuing other alternatives for careers as well. I don't think that sometimes like especially first generation students don't have that level of exposure. So it's pretty cool just to kind of like talk about my experiences on how similarities can you know become an inspiration for them to pursue something else. Absolutely. And it's that representation that's so important. It's seeing somebody that looks like you, that is like you in the positions that you want to get to in order for them to have that model. You so you're you're both being that model and encouraging students to sort of learn more about this. Yes, absolutely. Representation has been key. I think that for me, uh, that was something that I was missing most of, most of the time. And it kind of like forced me to like, like explore paths on my own or just take longer to explore those paths. Uh, so yes, uh, it's been very nice to find students who speak about that specifically that they're like, oh my God, you look like me, you look like my brother or, you know, or they are queer and explore that as well, what that means for them, you know? So yeah, it's been pretty cool. Yeah, that's great. And you said that you had some research experience before you decided to apply to the PhD program. Did you have notions about what your program would be like or what you would experience, at, you know, academically when you chose to go the PhD route? Yeah, um, I really didn't. Honestly, I think that it's been a learning adventure throughout the entire process. Um, I think that when you read like, I don't know, for example, program catalogs, you get an idea of what the requirements will be, the classes that you will take, what exams or milestones you have to complete. But reading it is much different than doing it and experiencing it. I am. So I, I think it's been a learning curve, but um, I'm grateful for the experience overall. Yeah, that's I think that that I think that that's totally true. Like you can read a lot about it. And that's sort of the effort of this segment is to sort of give people a little bit more insight. But it is kind of hard to describe. It's hard to you have to find your way through it. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I think that and every path is different. I think one of that's one of the things that I learned uh, when I first started applying to programs. I did reach out for, you know, to speak up to graduate students just in general and to find out what their experiences are. And and I, and I did realize that, you know, there are common factors like that, you know, we can talk about, but every path is different and every experience is completely different. So, and that's pretty cool also, because then that means that nothing is dictated, right? Like nothing is fixed. Like you can actually uh, pave your own way, you know, like if, like if the traditional way, it's not what you really like, you can pave your own way as well. Yeah, absolutely. And so now you're in your fourth year. So what does your day-to-day -day now actually look like? Ah, yeah, um, I'm starting my fourth year uh, in the fall, and my day-to-day -day has changed tremendously. So year one probably was primarily classes, primarily required courses, primarily a lot of reading for those courses, uh, thinking about initial milestones. At this point, I have collected data in, in various studies. At this point, I have made uh, collaborations with different professors and, uh, and labs. 
So right now my day-to-day -day is more mostly do my own research, which is pretty cool. It's, I think, the most exciting portion, um, what I can describe when you have the autonomy and liberty to really do what you really want to do and not necessarily do the research that other people want to do. Um, it's still good because you get experience, right? But once you get to a point where you're doing your own thing, it's pretty, it's pretty amazing. And also you kind of like, also I balance it at least collaborating in other projects because there's still so much I can, le I, I can learn, right? So um, uh, I take that uh, always as a learning experience. But my day-to-day -day nowadays is primarily working on my data or working on a manuscript, writing, um, or looking out at what the next study is gonna probably look like. How can I modify it? Um, taking a look at the literature that is outgoing, which is extremely hard. I have like a huge folder of read this and I never touch. I just keep adding files to it. I think that most students will know what I'm talking about, uh, you know, and, but yeah, I just have a full autonomy. I still take a few elective courses from time to time, but I, I also teach. So it's just kind of managing more of my time um, between all of it. But the autonomy of deciding what I do, it's pretty cool. Yeah, that's one of the huge benefits, I think, of getting a PhD is that you you are very busy, but you have a lot of control over your time in some ways. Um, and I and, and totally agree. I have uh, I also have a to read folder that I I come up with systems sometimes where I'm like, oh, maybe I'll try to read one of these a week. And there's would never be enough weeks in the year for you to ever do it. So they just languish in that folder for sure. <laughs> Yes, yes, I think that one day that's my goal. I tried systems where I'm going to read one a day and then I'm going to summarize it and put it like in a spreadsheet. Things life happens, things I'm not, I just, or maybe I just don't have the discipline yet for, to do that portion. But you know, it's just, it's, it takes a lot of, I mean, that's a lot of brain power too. Like reading does. articles isn't like a, isn't like a light task. It's not like checking email, right? You're trying to get, a, get something out of the article, presumably. So the worst part also sometimes the papers take me to other places. So like sometimes I'm reading a paper for a purpose and then I read something that looks pretty cool or they cite some a study that I never heard of. And then I'm like looking that up and I'm just going into this tangent where, oh, I just lost, you know, the last two hours what I, that I was supposed to focus on these. So, yeah. Exactly, exactly. And there's always like that one task that you don't really want to do. So this seems like a good use of your time. And then you totally go down a rabbit hole and you're like, oh, I was supposed to be writing for I this mean, manuscript that's due. <laughs> procrastination is real. So yeah, totally. I think that uh, in psychology, we call procrastination as that's something that it's creating a lot of anxiety. So therefore, you're, that's your system telling you avoid that, do something else. And so I embrace it fully. And so I am a master in procrastination. Yeah, that's, I mean, I, from, I feel like we all should be justified because you are indeed a psychology doctoral student. So you've told us that procrastination is the only way. <laughs> yes, it's a survival technique. And so can you walk us through what a typical day looks like? When do you get up? When do you eat? Um, when are you doing work? Um, yeah, so this might change from time to time. Um, I am not a morning person, so I do try to schedule most of my things in 10 in the morning or later. I need my coffee. <laughs> I need a couple of things in the morning to survive, uh, shower, do the whole thing. Uh, but I do start my day around 9, 10 in the morning. Um, usually try to get some coffee immediately. Check my email. Uh, I do have the tendency to check my email. And I, I am pretty good about keeping my email um, uh, updated so that nothing um, piles up. Um, and then from there, just check on my calendar, like exactly what my day is going to dictate. So if it's a teaching day, it looks very different for me because I have to prepare for lecture, make sure that I kind of rehearse my notes, be prepared for the students, um, 
I take that very seriously. If it's a research day, then it has so much more freedom because then it depends on where I am. Sometimes I'm just like, I put tasks specifically. Today I'm going to write a specific sections of a paper or today I'm just going to clean my data or today I'm just going to analyze a portion of my data. Um, um, meetings is what gets the hardest, like scheduling meetings, because I think since the pandemic, we have normalized scheduling meetings just in, as a whole without breaks. And so I've been trying to fight that now as far as like giving my breaks in between meetings or scheduling less meetings in particularly. Um, but I do, I do set a, a rule that I don't schedule anything after 5 p.m. for meetings just because I don't think I have the brain power by then. So just out of respect for other people, I try not to do that. Um, and then um, when I do have writing days, I love writing at night. So I have roommates, they are loud, they're crazy, and they're extremely supportive. But I love that they all, all are like morning people. So at night, they all go to bed early, which is perfect for me because then I just go to the sofa, living room, put on my headphones, music in the background, and I can write and I can go. When I get into the sun, I can write until like two or three in the morning, nonstop until I realize that it's two and three in the morning and then I have to go back to bed. Um, but yeah, and that's, that's typically when I write my best. Wow, I love that because I feel like there's so many narratives out there that are sort of pushing for people to write in the morning, like write in the morning, that's when you're right. most, most creative, sort of all these narratives that you hear about this. But it sounds like, you know, it, it just goes to show that it's not one size fit all, right? Yeah, I don't think I don't think it is. I mean, I do believe, I do understand um, the aspect of not staying up late from a you know, medical perspective or I, I understand the recommendations around that. Uh, but I don't think that life for students, especially grad students, fit you know that regular pandemic like eight to five. It's not it's not an eight to five job. You can treat it as an eight to five job, but it's not a reality of how academia works uh, in general. So I feel like whatever you find, especially around writing, for those that have to write, finding the inspiration or the just the space to be able to connect ideas and let them flow. It, it for me at least it's a process. I cannot just sit and write. Like I will never be able to like really have to brainstorm it and start like thinking what I'm going to cite. And so it's a whole process. So um, I find the quietness in my home at night to be the most successful. Yeah. And so it sounds like you have a couple of different modes that you shift into because of the nature of where you are in your program. And so your different obligations. But would you say there's like any days that you have that are just truly abnormal, like days that don't look like a typical day that, you know, don't follow your typical sort of pattern? Um, I will say weekends. So weekends are I try to be respectful of my weekends. I don't work since Sundays. So that's like where I definitely put my foot on. Saturdays are flexible. I do some service and leadership advocacy work as well. And so um, it's hard to coordinate meetings, for example, around among grad students. Like we all have different schedules. So Saturdays tend to be the day where we all can get together or meet for, you know, for uh, service or leadership positions, for example. Um, so I leave some of those open. Um, but then, for example, when I don't have anything scheduled on Saturdays and when I don't have a deadline, I will play video games. Like that is, I can get lost for seven hours just playing a video game and be happy and enjoy. And then some days it's kind of like family day or I hang out with my partner or, you know, I give it to myself, but I don't do any work. No matter if it's a deadline, I will not do the work on Sundays. So I think that's a great boundary to set. I really encourage, I, I think that that's a, like, that's a great, that's a great idea notion because I, I also encourage students that I mentor to like, you have to have at least one day 
that's just yours, right? To do the things that you need to do to make, well, first of all, you have to understand that this is your life, right? This, I mean, grad school doesn't put your life on hold, right? You still have family and relationships and, you know, you know, personal needs. So you need that time. Yes. Yeah. I think that that's really important. Well, what do you think is next for you? What do you think uh, will come post-grad school or what are your, what are your future plans? Um, well, that's, that depends truly on so many factors, but what I will intend to do is um, I will pursue an academic uh, type of position. I think what's next is probably a postdoc. Um, I am trying to build up my research skills and just my research in general to be in a place where it's competitive enough to be funded on its own. So that way I can just get a postdoc that it's funded where they basically are allowing me to continue to do my own research. Uh, and then from there, probably pursue a tenure track position or some kind of research slash teaching position. I know those are getting more uh, scarce <laughs> year to year, or so they say. I don't know. I think it's all about run timing, you know, luck, so many factors. Um, um, but that's kind of right now my goal. Um, we'll see. You know, we'll see what happens in the next couple, couple of years. Yeah, I think we have to normalize this sort of like very ambiguous response anytime we ask, like PhD students are asked like what they're going to do next. They're like, well, in an ideal scenario, this is what happened. But obviously we have to be flexible and sort of figure out alternative paths. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think like, I, like, I, I love that there are, I love both portions. I love normalizing how the nature of the, the, um, academic life is, even though it can be problematic in the sense of, yes, there should be more jobs and more funding. And I totally support those, uh, uh, those messages, but it's also like normalizing, like, you know, this doesn't have to be a one, like a one way path. There are alternative careers. So like I'm learning more about, uh, research positions in private sector, or how can I apply my research, you know, in an institutional way or work in the government. I mean, there, there are other components. So just continue to learn more about that and perceive if it fits. I mean, if it happens and there's a great offer, hey, why not? Yeah, and I think it goes to show that you're doing a good job of diversifying your skills and portfolios with your various interests and activities to allow yourself to be competitive in those different kinds of job markets, which I think is something that's overlooked whenever people think about a PhD. They think it's just about the academics, but like I said, you can still be a full person in the world doing all your various interests and that actually may help you post-grad school. Absolutely. I totally yeah. agree. Yeah. Well, where can our listeners find you if they want to connect with you about your work or more about what you're doing? Um, well, I am primarily, I'm huge on Twitter. No, not huge as in I have a huge platform. I'm just like, I just use it a lot. And I love uh, connecting with people that do research similar to mine in Twitter. Um, so you can find me at, uh, at Aldo Barrita in Twitter. Um, that's primarily my main platform truly to connect. Uh, um, I share my CV and my uh, lab information as well there. Um, so feel free to hit me up. Perfect. We'll put that in the show notes for people to be able to find you easily. And uh, thank you so much for coming on and sharing a little bit about the day in your life. Thank you so much for having me on Point of Edition. Yeah, for sure. And thanks to everyone joining us. This has been Grad School Life by PhD Balance. Episodes of Grad School Life are posted on Thursdays and Grad Chat episodes are posted Saturdays on wherever you find your podcasts and on our YouTube channel. For more information about Grad School Life by PhD Balance, you can check out our website, phdbalance.com or follow us on Twitter and Instagram at phd underscore balance. You can find me at capplewhitex on Twitter and Instagram. If you would like to be a, a guest on Grad School Life, check out the link tree on all of our social media platforms 
platforms, we are now scheduling. So until next time, bye y'all, take care of yourselves. Bye everyone.